Today, we go through the 2021 NFL draft picks. Two Mets staffers have been told to hit the bricks. So to start the show off, let's talk some Metropolitans right here on Downtown Sports. I am the beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, along with my co-host, the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. Let's get right into it with a very special guest. He's the radio voice of the New York Mets. Mouth, take it away. And joining us right now to talk all of this insanity that just happened last night with the Mets is the radio voice of the New York Mets. Ladies and gentlemen, probably off a night of no sleep responding to a thousand tweets, having to probably appear on 15 talk shows and talk about this all day long, Mr. Wayne Randazzo is here to probably repeat what he just said 15 minutes ago to somebody else. Wayne, how you doing today? What's up, guys? How are you? Pretty well, good. We're in shock. We're in shock because Chili Davis is gone, fired in the middle of the night, admittedly after the Mets didn't necessarily have a bad run scoring performance. Uh, how long was this move in the works and uh, what do you know about it? How did this all go down? Well, it sounds like, you know, this could have been in the works for months. You know, it, it's no secret what Sandy Alderson's vision is for a team offensively. He likes to see a team that hits home runs and, and takes walks and gets on base and really the old Oakland A's mentality of, of on-base percentage and slugging percentage. And this team's on-base percentage has not been that bad, but, you know, kind of propped up by just a couple of guys who walk a lot. And on top of that, they're not hitting home runs. They've only hit, I think, 17 or 18 in the first 23 games. And that's not really the offense that Sandy Alderson envisions, not to mention the struggles with runners in scoring position and all that. So there are some issues here. And even though the Mets have been better the last few days, you know, we're still not seeing the home runs. We're still not seeing the big hits when they need them. There was uh, five runs yesterday, but only one of them that produced any runs. So it's a team that has not been offensively what Sandy and the front office has expected. You know, a lot of guys have been struggling and this was, I guess, the time they thought to make the move and before things get too deep one way or the other. So this was a, uh, it is a bit of a surprise, but if you really dig down deep into it, it's maybe not as surprising as you think. Talking with Wayne Randazzo, radio voice of the Mets. So Chili Davis, Tom Slater were the two that were let go. The Mets now are going to bring in Hugh Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard, who are going to take over for the assistant and main Mets hitting coaches. Uh, what can you tell us about Quattlebaum and Howard, and, and how are they different from what Slater and Chili Davis were? Well, I think that the biggest difference is that these are guys who will like, want the team to hit the ball hard in the air. You know, Chili Davis was more of a guy who had an old school approach. Even though Chili was a pretty good home run hitter in his day, he taught more of an approach of hitting line drives and using the opposite field and kind of ignoring a launch angle, which has uh, resulted in a, a boon of home runs around Major League Baseball. And this Mets team in particular was near the bottom of the league in launch angle, was near the bottom of the league in fly ball percentage. They were at the top of the league and hitting line drives. They were at the top of the league and hitting to the opposite field. And 
it's not really the philosophy that Sandy Alderson wants to see. So I think that the Mets are now bringing in a guy who's going to encourage the team to hit the ball in the air with more authority and to control the strike zone a little bit better. And I think those are the two reasons why Hugh Quattlebaum has been brought in along with Kevin Howard. They were originally supposed to be part of the team's minor league development, but it seems like they need to develop some better habits at the major league level too. So they've moved these guys up and, you know, they still have a couple of good people, including Dick Scott, who was in the organization before as uh, guys who can run the minor leagues. Wayne. So the biggest thing that I've been hearing from Mets fans, this, this has happened about all of 12 hours ago was um, this is the difference that they were promised by their new owner Steve Cohen I remember uh, when he did the ownership press conference said the main thing about my regime as the Mets owner is going to be accountability there is going to be accountability all up and down the organization you've seen it with the firing of Jared Porter once the allegations came out now you see it with uh, Chili Davis and Slater is this the type of uh, ownership and aggressive, uh, quote-unquote, accountability that we should expect to see from Steve Cohen? Is he going to be a quick trigger if something doesn't go, doesn't go correctly? Is this the type of uh, style we're going to see that the Mets front office operate with now? I don't think so. I think that this is more about where the Mets want to be organizationally from a philosophical standpoint and who they want to be on the field. I don't think this is something that we should come to expect that poor results are going to lead to firings. I think that the Mets are going to allow their people to fail, but do so in the way that they want them to succeed. Meaning that if the organizational philosophy is there and the results aren't, I think they would have a lot more patience for that than in a situation like this, where they just aren't in the same stratosphere philosophically that they are moving that the Mets want to move towards so I think this is more of an isolated view remember that this these hitting coaches were inherited they were not hired by the new regime Um, I think Jeremy Hefner who was also not hired by this regime as the pitching coach fits in a lot better with what the Mets want and as far as the manager goes Luis Rojas that remains to be seen. I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily on the hot seat right now, but I could certainly see in the next few months if this team continues to sputter around 500 or, or under that he will be on the hot seat. But again, I think that's more because of the fact that he was inherited and not brought in by this new group. Let's talk about uh, one such hitter in the Met lineup that has not been hitting, struggling. Francisco Lindor, that signed him to a contract for $341 million. He's hitting a buck 63. He's in an 0 for 20 slump. And again, pieces of the Met lineup are out. No Brandon Nimmo. J.D. Davis is out. And it's affecting other hitters in the lineup. Here and there, Pete Alonso's hitting, but not consistently enough. Is bringing in this new hitting coach going to really help get these med hitters that were struggling kind of back on track? Or are you starting to see maybe signs of, of their power starting to return or still kind of waiting? Well, I, I think Pete's really the one guy that's been productive pretty consistently here so far, especially from a power standpoint. 
you know, he's got five home runs and he's, he leads the team in RBIs. And he's really been the one guy with any sort of consistency that's been a run producer. You know, Conforto's been doing better lately, but we still haven't, he's only hit a couple of homers. Uh, you know, Dominic Smith has not done much. McNeil has, has struggled. We've seen McCann has, has done almost nothing. And Lindor has certainly been the, the guy that stands out the most as being completely unproductive right now. So, you know, the, the team is going to bring these new coaches in. I don't know that it's going to be an, an overnight fix that these guys are going to have to build relationships, first of all, because they haven't had a spring training to do it. And these aren't guys that have been around the organization. Both of these guys are new to the Mets, and both of them were hired to be on the minor league side. So I'm sure a lot of these players will be meeting these guys today for the first time. And it's going to take some time to build those relationships and gain that trust. So some of these Mets hitters might be on their own for a little while here. Maybe that'll help Lindor. You know, I don't know. Francisco's in a, in a bad place right now. But uh, I do think that eventually his talent will win over and he will bounce back and he'll go off on a tear and he won't be stopped. And I think that will be the case for a few of these guys. Uh, I think that once the Mets start hitting to the pace that people believe that they should, that it'll be a consistent thing at that point, and they'll continue on and hopefully score a lot of runs as this season goes. Talking with Wayne Randazzo, the voice of the Mets. And, you know, Wayne, as a Met fan, you know, I'm actually thinking maybe this is a good omen. I mean, forget analysis, forget actual baseball stats for a second. This might be a good omen because usually the Mets will have a, will have a great April and a great May, go on a tear, end up like – in the wild card race or like maybe a game or two out of first or possibly even in first place. And then June comes around and then it goes down. Perhaps this is a trend that reverses, but here's a trend that hasn't reversed yet. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball and the Mets can't score runs for him. So um, the one thing I wanted to bring up with uh, Jacob deGrom is that what we're seeing here is almost unlike anything we've ever seen with this Mets team. This is I almost think he's better than Tom Terrific. I think he's almost going to go down in history as a pitcher who might actually end up being the best pitcher in Mets history. What do you think about that? Well, it's possible. You know, Seaver had uh, a great run with the Mets for a decade and then came back for a couple of years. You know, at this point in their careers, you know, DeGrom has a lower ERA as a Met right now than Seaver does. But at this same point in their career, Seaver's ERA is still a bit lower than Jacobs. You know, Tom became a pitcher toward the end of his career that was good enough to get by, but was not certainly the same talent that he had been early on in his career. Seaver had some incredible seasons and logged a lot of innings and strikeouts that Jacob deGrom will never get to. You know, the game has changed to the point where, you know, deGrom's not going to have a 250-inning season. He's not going to have a, a year where he's racking up the kind of innings that he would need to really get to a point where you can say that they're on an even playing field. But with Jacob deGrom has to work with and the innings that are allowed to him now, you know, he's as good as, as any pitcher has been in the last 30 or 40 years for sure. Um, you, you think about guys like Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez and Greg Maddox, Clemens, Guys who were in their primes were the best pitchers of their generation. Kershaw and Scherzer and Verlander in this generation. I think DeGrom's right up there with all of them. 
And I, I, you just hope that he continues to do it for the next five or six years, because that's really what it will take for him to get a, a real shot at Cooperstown. You know, he's a long way away from having the innings that you need. You know, the, the lowest number of innings thrown by any pitcher, any starting pitcher in the Hall of Fame over the last 75 years is Sandy Koufax. And DeGrom is still more than a thousand innings behind him. And then you get to a couple other guys who DeGrom is roughly 1,500 innings behind. So it's going to take a while still for Jacob DeGrom to be in a Hall of Fame conversation because he hasn't been able to pitch the innings. He got up to the big leagues too late. And he's going to have to pitch, as he said, probably into his 40s, but at the very least at this level into his late 30s to be considered on the pantheon of Tom Seaver or anybody else. Talking with Wayne Randazzo, radio voice for the New York Mets. Another concern I wanted to bring up with the Mets is the back end of the bullpen. The Mets had to go to Edwin Diaz, 8-4. He nearly blew the game, then had some back tightness, not hearing it's going to be anything very serious. But is Rojas going to have to start thinking about maybe Familia becoming the closer? Maybe it's time to move away from Diaz. Maybe just not cut out the close games. Or are they still pretty confident in sticking with Diaz to, to finish the game? Well, I think they're extremely confident in Edwin Diaz, and, and rightfully so. Diaz last year was as good as any closer in the major leagues. And so far this year, he's, he's three for three in his safe tries and really hasn't had even uh, anything close to a blown save. You know, what happened the other night, uh, pitching on a second straight day, his back was acting up. I think it was more of, um, you know, just kind of an abnormality for Diaz than what we've seen so far this year and what we saw last year. So I don't think there's any thought of, of going away from Edwin Diaz as the closer, and there really shouldn't be. I do think the Mets have a lot of good late-inning options that they're relying on to get outs, and that's a good thing. You know, Miguel Castro's been really good for them. Trevor May's been excellent. Aaron Loop has been good. Familia looks like he did five or six years ago. So there are a lot of good things for the Mets in the back end of their bullpen right now. That's without Seth Lugo, who should be back in the next few weeks. So I, I think the Mets are very happy with what their bullpen looks like right now. We even saw guys who were multiple inning guys like Gisellman and Reed Foley. Even they've been good. So I think the Mets bullpen is, has been a, a big strength for them over the last couple of weeks. Let's talk about their starting staff. Let's talk about somebody who might be coming back for them within a couple of months. Uh, Norris Syndergaard looking to come back on that starting staff. Marcus Stroman is giving, uh, except for his last couple of outings, Marcus Stroman seems to be giving you what you expected out of him when you traded for him in 2019. Tell me how you think this starting staff is coming along. It's coming along great. I think they need Carrasco. You know, that's, that's the guy that, that came over from Cleveland in the Lindor trade. Carlos Carrasco has been a, a very solid starting pitcher for the last six or seven years, and they miss him in the rotation. You know, what we saw last night with Lucchese, I don't agree with the, the decision to put Lucchese in to begin with. I think that the Mets should have just tried to get through it with Reed Foley and Gesellman against a, a very heavy right-handed lineup that St. Louis has. But, you know, they need Carrasco. That's, that's the guy that they were hoping to have be a steady hand in their rotation he's he should be back in a week or two at the most and I think that really changes the outlook for the Mets because suddenly Peterson's your number five starter Walker's your number four and those are pretty good options to have at the back end of your rotation 
you know, Syndergaard is still at least a month away, and we don't really know what he's going to look like coming back from Tommy John surgery. If, if he's anything close to the very good Noah Syndergaard that we saw through most of his career, and the Mets are even in, in better shape from a starting pitching standpoint, and that would be nothing but a, a huge help to them. But, you know, if he's slow to come along or if he has some setbacks, I still think Carrasco coming back is, is the big thing for them and really should make this a, a very deep and solid rotation. Are we going to start seeing for the Mets and the other pieces of the lineup turning around for Dom Smith, for McNeil? Because Jeff McNeil, we know, is a great contact hitter, can put the ball in play, can hit about 280, 290 when, when he's on. Do you believe Nimmo being out of the lineup – and J.D. Davis being out has really sort of hurt now for Dom Smith and McNeil, not quite having the, uh, the numbers they should be kind of getting up there so far. Well, I don't, think, I don't think Nimmo and Davis have anything to do with McNeil or Dom. I think that, you know, Nimmo has largely been in the lineup this year, and Davis has now been on the I.L. a couple of times. But I think VR has, has done a nice job in, in Davis's spot. You know, I think Giorme hurts the Mets too not having that extra bat and glove that he brings hopefully he'll come back soon but uh, I think that Dominic Smith and and McNeil you know just need to do what works for them I, I think Dom is a good hitter to the opposite field and needs to look that way a little bit more and hit the ball hard in the air I think that's I think Dominic Smith is going to benefit from the new hitting coaches as much as anybody does even though he's he's had success with Chili Davis in the past you know, McNeil's been searching for it, but I think that he's hit into some bad luck, too. He's not chasing. He's not striking out anymore. He's still making a lot of contact. It, the base hits just aren't falling, and I think that's that's easily something that will reverse. You know, it could, it could be bad luck all season for McNeil. I mean, you don't really know, but I think that what we've seen from Jeff points to that he should be right back to his form. And this is a guy who's hit, you know, three 13 in his career this is a, a guy who really is a great average hitter and uh there's no reason to think that he won't be again talking with rain randazzo he is the radio voice of the new york mets want to get you out here on this last couple of questions um the nl east is a gigantic dogfight. you know you look at every other division in baseball and there's a little more separation than you see in the NL East. Everybody's around the same record, um, especially when you go to the top three teams. They're all around 500. They're all beating each other up. Um, what do you think the Mets grade should be so far at this point in the season, given the division that they're in, being that I think it's the best division in baseball where every team except for one seems to have a shot at winning this division, what kind of grade would you give the Mets so far at this point in the year? Well, I mean, I, I don't know about a grade. You know, it's, it's hard to grade them because they've had such a strange first month in terms of the postponements and the weather. And, you know, they've had to start and stop a whole bunch of times. Really, now is the first time they've been able to play with any sort of consistency. And now they're dealing with their hitting coach being fired. So it's been a, a strange start for them. And I think that they you know, really need this next month to figure out who they are and, and where they're going to be going. The good news for them is that the, the division hasn't been that good. You know, Philadelphia has been in the same boat where they've won one, lost one, won one, lost one. They really haven't gotten going. The Braves are dealing with a ton of injuries and have also 
underperformed. Washington is probably about where they where they should be, just a kind of a 500 team. And the Marlins are still figuring themselves out, and they've had a lot of injuries. So uh, I think that the division is very much up for grabs, but I do think the Mets, if they can perform at the level they should, are still the best team in the division. And we'll see if that turns out over 162 games. You know, you look around baseball, the National League West is the division that looks like it's the best in the league right now. The Giants are playing great. The Padres and Dodgers are really good. And the Diamondbacks are playing better than expected. So, you know, I don't know if the NL East is the best division, but it is one that the Mets, I think, are the best team in and can end up winning this thing as long as they play their capabilities. Looking forward to seeing where all that ends up. Wayne Randazzo, radio voice of the New York Mets. Thank you for so much for taking some time to join us and best of luck to the Mets for the rest of the season. Yeah, man. I know it's, I know you've had a crazy schedule with uh, the firing of the hitting coaches. You probably got about five more podcasts to do. Thanks for taking the time, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot, Wayne. That was Wayne Randazzo, radio voice of the New York Mets. When we come back, the MLB top 10. The accountability theme continues. We're going to see who's on the top 10 and who's not. Might be surprised at a couple of omissions. Back after this. And we're back to downtown sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. Want to thank Wayne Randazzo for coming on to the show and explain to us basically the uh, execution in the middle of the night of Chili Davis and Mr. Slater, his assistant, the firing of the Mets hitting coaches, telling us what's going on with Lindor, all that good stuff. But before we go out and find out what's up with the rest of the league, Beast, where can they hear us? We're available on 13 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, and Podcast Addict. 13 different platforms, rants, episodes, digital market battle specials every single Tuesday and Wednesday. We are downtown sports and we are where sports come home. MLB top 10 time. I'm going to read this to you because apparently you're having trouble with doing your reads today. So I'll take care of this top 10 and read it off to you for once. Okay. Because I think if you looked at this list, your head would explode because I have no idea how the teams that are at the top are at the top. The teams that are at the bottom are at the bottom. This list is all sorts of weird. And I'll get a view. Oh, boy. One guess as to who the number 10 team is, Beast. Just one. One guess. Hmm. Let's see who it is. Come on, Beast. See if you know. By the way, thank our researcher, Anthony Mainville. Happy birthday, by the way, to our man Chris DeLarge our statistician today happy Cinco de Mayo and happy birthday to Chris so we gave Chris the week off of making all of the top 10 lists he only had to make one so Tony came up with this our researcher 
Who's the number 10 team? I'm still waiting for the guests. Throw it out there. The Houston Astros, are they number 10 by any chance? Yes, it really is. What? 15 and 13, second in the AL West. Why the Houston Astros? Because... I get that they had pitching problems. I know they, their lineup's back to full power, sort of speak. Why? Tony loves them because of uh, Altuve, Guriel, Bergman, Correa. They're all back together. With Dusty Baker as the manager, he figures experience in the dugout, experience on the field. I'm just telling you, you what's here, Beast. Heard, I'm not, this, this isn't my opinion. Did you hear how heavily booed they were last night? No, I did actually you hear how did heavily not, they got booed? I did not get a chance oh, last night to see that game. The booing, was, the booing for Altuve in particular – even at a crowd of 10,000, that didn't feel like a crowd of 10,000 that was at Yankee Stadium. That felt like a full crowd. Imagine if it was 40,000 fans and they were all booing as soon as Altuve's name was announced. Mm. I could just, I could just imagine that. I, I, like 8,000 yeah. must have and sounded like a million. With, with excitement as one of those Astros made out. You know what? We gave those Astros just what they deserved. A good old New York City old-fashioned right. Bronx cheer. A good old Bronx cheers with the Astros <laughs> received. We gave them a Amen. New York special, apparently, according to you, Beast. That's great. I love that. Number nine on this list. Okay. The Chicago White Sox, 15 and 12, second in the AL Central, according to Tony. Most talent in the division with the likes of Abreu, Montana, and Anderson on the offensive side. My only concern and probably why they're only ninth on the list is Giolito's not having a good season. Keiko's no, not doing not. that well. Um, nope. And now Lewis Robert is out for a significant amount of time. It's out for 12 to 16 weeks with a hip flexor. Serious injury. The bullpen has not been a, a real strength. I mean, you're trying to get to Liam Hendricks, your closer, but – the setup to him is very suspect. Their, their pen is kind of in the middle, not great. And, yeah, how long will pieces of their lineup be hitting? How long will Yerman, will Yerman Mercedes be on this hitting tear that he's been on? Well, Only, he's going to go cold at some point. Jose well, Abreu can't do it all himself. One month in, he hasn't gone cold yet. One month in, Abreu's still the man. It's good that he hasn't. But, you know, every great hitter is due to go through a – a, a cold spell at some point in the season. It's going to happen. Baseball has a way of balancing out, right? Here's a way baseball has a way of balancing out. Are you ready for this? Right when the White Sox think they're finally ready to take over the AL Central? Here comes the return of an old – it's like a thorn in your side, like, like an itch you can't scratch or like a mosquito. You wanted to get him before he bit you, but unfortunately there it is. The Kansas City Royals at number eight, 16 and 11. Makes sense. First place in the AL Central. And uh, Danny Duffy, four and one, 0 0.60 ERA. He has been the anchor of the staff. The, the Royals have a very, again, very strong hitting lineup. Andrew Benintendi getting him in the offseason was huge for them. You have Whit Merrifield. You have Hunter Dozier. You have some solid bats. Jorge Soler, you have solid bats in that lineup, along with Salvador Perez. <clears throat> so it's still a very potent hitting team. And 
the back end of the bullpen has been pretty good. Uh, Josh Stomont to close games. You have Mike Miner, another good ace in the step. The Royals kind of have something. Not sure if I can say complete yet, but they have something there. Look, so far, they're first place, and uh, you know what? I guess the one time I saw Duffy start, it looked like he was throwing knucklers. Let me say something. Apparently, that was a gigantic curveball. He throws a huge 12-6 to curveball that looks like a knuckleball. Forgive me. Um, because his speed has uh, went down a little bit over the years. But what Duffy's relying on now is a huge 12-6, to sort of like how Pedro Martinez used to have. So well, that's the really cool thing, seeing that. Number seven on this list, by the way, we got to get moving, Yep, let's keep is uh, St. Louis Cardinals, 17-12, second in the eight, NL Central. One five straight, currently the longest winning streak in baseball. Arenado, productive so far in year one. Five mm-hmm. home runs, 21 oh, RBIs so good. far. Flaherty leads the major leagues with five wins. The Cardinals don't surprise me. They, they do this every year. They always find a way. They always find a way to get going at the right time. The pitching staff, Flaherty, Wainwright still anchoring the back end of the rotation. That's crazy. That, that, that is crazy. I, I'm sorry. It is 2021. Adam Wainwright in 2006 was in the league for one year. He was closer at one point. He was closing he games was, to, yes, for them he was to win closing, the World Series. He was closing for the Cardinals in 2006. Then he literally uh, was the one that threw that pitch, that faded curveball that ended the Mets season, that faded horrible curveball that Carlos Beltran just stood there waiting, waiting to get a pitch, and then that curveball drops in for strike three. Sun didn't even swing. But you know what? We're going to move on because number six on this list is what's really shocking me. Are you ready? Number six, the San Francisco Giants, 17 and 11. First in the NL West. First place. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? The Dodgers at one point, like just two weeks ago, looked like nobody could beat them. And suddenly now the Dodgers have come down to earth. They just lost the doubleheader last night to the Cubs including one in walk-off fashion. Clayton Kershaw had the worst outing of his career. Suddenly now the Dodgers look a lot more human. And the Giants, give them credit. The Giants always had great pitching. They find a way all the time. As long as pitching is able to keep you in games, it doesn't matter if you score four runs, even if you score two runs a game, three runs. It could be enough runs if you're the Giants with the pitching they have. Quick question. Yeah. Who has more home runs this year, Pete Alonso or Buster Posey? It's oh, a tough one. I'd like to say Buster Posey does. That's correct. Six to five. Incredible. Six to five. Buster Posey's like 34, 35 years old. He's hitting 359. He's still a productive hitter that he was even back in 2011 and 10. He's actually more productive now than he was in 2010 and 2011. This season, more productive than He's that. hitting 359. 359. Unbelievable. Right Number five on this list is we got to keep it moving. The Athletics, Oakland. Athletics, 18-12. First that in makes AL West. Of course, Oakland would be cooling down. Well, Oakland had a 13-game winning streak at one point. Oakland had one of the longest winning streaks in the majors already to start the year. Yeah, they started it. Yeah, they started terribly. They were 1-7. Yeah, they were 1-7 to start the year. And Think then 
win, 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 win. They just kept dealing those L's to people like like a blackjack dealer at a casino deals uh, bad hands to you and good hands to themselves. That's, and it's that's not the, the first time do. Oakland's done this. It's not the first time that the A's have done this. They've had streaks of 20 games in a row even at, 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 at times. So they had that uh, – the, the Indians had a 22-game winning streak a couple years ago as well. So the Oakland A's have a great lineup. They've yes, always they had a great lineup. Canna, Olsen, Chapman – Ramon Laureano, it's a great deep lineup of guys that know how to hit, guys that don't rely necessarily just on the home run. The AL West is not a joke this year, ladies and gentlemen. No, it's not. Number four, the Milwaukee Brewers, 17 mm-hmm. and 12, first place in the National League Central. They took three out of four against the Dodgers over the weekend. This okay. is the team that literally made the Dodgers, in my opinion, go down. Uh, starting pitcher is Corbin Burns is doing the he's job. Been one of their best. He's, he's been one amazing. of their best. Incredible. This this Brewers team, we've talked about them in the playoffs, particularly in the past. This Brewers team knows how to win in playoff games. They know how to win in cro- in close games as well. They're a very battle tested team. Yeah, they need Christian Yelich back though. Yeah, Yelich is going to be the key ingredient for them. But the fact that they're even still playing well without him is incredible. It just shows you the leadership Yelich had and, and just the players can kind of – they know their roles and they can just play their own game even without Yelich there. And they're still going to be a threat. And they have enough depth. They have enough talent in this lineup where, yeah, even losing Yelich for a little period is not going to kill them too much. Number three, and this is where you're going to start to get pissed. Okay, what do we got? The Boston Red Sox, 17-12, first in the AL East. They've won seven out of their – uh, basically, they've been a surprise. Oh, now he's getting up from the chair. He wants nothing to do with this. J.D. Martinez is leading the league with 26 RBIs. They've been a surprise, quote-unquote, but I don't know why everybody was so surprised. J.D. Martinez had an off year last year. Their lineup, never, their lineup never shocked me. Their lineup was always strong. I'm not denying that. Alex Verdugo, they got younger in their lineup. Verdugo is a great addition. Devers. Even without Mookie Betts and Benintendi in that lineup, the Red Sox are still a very deep-hitting team. Because J.D. Martinez is a better hitter than those guys. He was a better hitter than Betts, a better hitter than Benintendi. Look, I love Mookie Betts, and the Dodgers are getting great play out of him. But J.D. Martinez was the better stick. Boston picked the right guy for them out of those three to sign long-term. I'll give him credit. Also, yeah, oh yeah, let's not forget. Boston also doesn't have Jackie Bradley Jr. anymore. They're down yep. three of their big. They're down three of their big hitters of their young hitters in that lineup. But they had a farm system and they restocked. They even made trades with the Yankee. Adam Adovino is in their bullpen pitching well. He's pitching decently well for Boston. Eh, he's hit, he has an ERA around almost five. He's been eh. That's better than what he was he's still doing very as up a and Yankee, down though. for me. It was better than what he was doing as a Yankee though. Eh. Nathan Avaldi was the best thing to happen to Boston. Nathan he's Evaldi taking the Boston. He's for Boston, taking, right? That guy's taking to Boston like a hot knife through butter. It's crazy. Avaldi couldn't cut it on the Yankees. Goes to Boston, revitalizes his entire career. Gives Nathan. himself a whole new career because uh, if it didn't work out in Boston, he was going to be done. Oh yeah. Number Look, two. Right. Number two. Who we got? The San Diego Padres, 17-13, third in the NL West. 
I don't know if I put him up no, there. I wouldn't. I don't. I, Tony, what is this, Tony? I don't like that. That could have been where the Giants. That should have been where the Giants are because their record's better than the Padres right now. Well, the Padres did win seven out of their last ten games, though. They have. They have. Um, and Tatis Jr. is finally uh, coming out of uh, what how he started the season off. He's got eight homers. Well, so yeah. far this year. I mean, he, he's he's starting to pick it up. Yes. I'm I'm waiting for that to keep going with him. I'm waiting for Machado. He started off slowly. He had an injury. Yeah, Machado's Machado. still kind of eh, not there. Osmer, I'm still kind of waiting for a little punch out of his bat every you now see, and again. Hosmer was the one move that they made that everybody loved that I was a little iffy on because his bat, look at where the Royals are this season without Hosmer. That was the big change that they made this year, Kansas City, was they got rid of Hosmer. Now Hosmer's off in San Diego. Look at the, how the Royals are doing. And look at how Hosmer's bat has not had the same type of punch that you expected it to have. That's what happens when you don't have enough depth surrounding you. You know, Will Myers can only do so much in the middle of that lineup as well for the pods. Will Myers needs to stay on the field consistently. That's the problem. He'd be a star. He would be a superstar in Major League Baseball. Will Myers, not just, he doesn't just have the playing skill. He has the personality, too. But you never know. You Darvish has been an incredible revelation so far to start the season. He's been. You Darvish actually gets to play on a team that hits for him. It's amazing, right? And, th- and then they also play defense behind him, too. You, you know, it, it, you, what happened in Chicago and what happened in Texas, like, towards the last couple of years of his career, no offense being scored for him, defense being played badly behind him. Well, it helps when Tatis Jr. can anchor that entire infield defense, and he's still only a, a, a young kid at 22 years old and only going to get better. He has his dad's glove, too. That's the funny part. It really does. And number one, and I'm pissed. Okay, who's number one? This does one? not make sense to me. They, sh- they shouldn't be on number one on this list. I got to hear this. The world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, 17 and 12, second in the NL West. Yes, I know they are the most balanced and deep team in baseball. Yes, I know it doesn't matter if they don't finish in first place. I know they would win whatever wild card game they'd start. I know they would probably get to the World Series anyway. doesn't necessarily matter where they finish in this playoff scrum. I get it. But this is not the NBA. This is not the NFL. Wild cards are not guaranteed playoff entries. This isn't a situation where the top eight teams make it, and it doesn't matter what seed you are because talent always wins out. The Dodgers should not be number one on this list, especially when Dustin May is going to be gone for the year. He was your biggest revelation. Now it's just on Kershaw. Now it's all on Kershaw again. May was the revelation that kept this starting. But Kershaw's the guy. And May was showing himself to be that heir apparent. And now he's hurt. Nope. Doesn't help. When the, also the Dodgers uh, bullpen's been struggling the last couple of games. Why they're number one baffles me. If, if this was two weeks ago, Tony, I would have agreed with you. But the Honestly, Giants should be the one that's number one right now. The Giants should be the number one spot. Maybe the Oakland A's should be number one because their record's better than that of the Dodgers right now. You're not saying the team that really should be one, number one on this list. All right, who should it be then for you? Boston. To me, Boston. Boston's right got now. no ball. Boston has no bullpen. Boston's bullpen stinks. Yet they're, That's they're, the only, the hitting's the only reason they're where they are right now. 
they're starting the pitching. Why they're in first? And place. starting pitching. Their starters their have uh, their starters have not done badly. Their starters are going into the sixth inning. Avaldi, okay. Avaldi's been been the one good ace. Pavetta barely gets you five innings. Not great. The rest of that pe- uh, that staff. Eduardo Rodriguez. Is he any? Yeah, he's very hit or miss as well. Eduardo Rodriguez is very hit and miss. And the rest of the rotation is just, again, I have question marks. I can't, I can't trust that pitching staff in, in, with the Sox. I can't. I understand that. Their I bullpen, understand that. And their bullpen, as I said, their bullpen is very shaky. Ottavino, I don't care what you say, how great Ottavino is. He's not good, in my opinion, yet. He hasn't shown it with the Sox. He's not blowing hitters away like he did with the Yanks. Not at all. Not even close. Matt Barnes, sometimes you have to hold your breath with him when he closes games. Remember, the Sox haven't played the Yankees yet. No, they haven't. Let me just say something. Okay, let's check their starters out. Nick Pavetta, ERA 3.23 so far only. Not terrible. Nate Evaldi is 3.63, has a 3.63 ERA at this moment. He's really been the better pitcher of the, of the, of the two. And then Eduardo Rodriguez, what do we have on Rodriguez? Eduardo Rodriguez, their ace, according to this, is 4-0 with a 4.18 ERA. Mm-hmm. So he's 4-0. All the ERAs seem to be in that 3.5 to 4.5 range. Garrett Richards is 1-2 is one with a 4.4. That's their number four starter. Sort of looks like Wade Boggs with an incomplete mustache. And then you got Martin Perez with a 4.7. So none of their starters have an over-5 ERA at this moment. Yeah, but still, they don't give you enough depth. They don't give you a consistent six, seven innings to start all the time. That's a big problem for me. By the way, Adovino, um, just good, good news here. 4.91 ERA, got his ERA below 5. He's at 15 strikeouts, but here's the cool thing for him. His ERA at home and his whip at home are 1.29. Mm-hmm. So in Boston, he's pitching very well. His skills play well to that green monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, he's pitched for the Yankees, so he's, been, so he's had experience pitching at Fenway during his time with the Yanks. So he's gotten familiar with the park even when he was on a Red Sox. And uh, just to let you all know another reason that the Sox are doing extremely, extremely well, his name is Xander Bogarts. Yeah. He is hitting 351. He has six home runs, 17 RBIs. OPS is .988. Well, having the year that J.D. Martinez is having is going to allow for a good year from Bogarts. It's going to allow Devers to hit. It's going to allow Verdugo to have the at-bats that he's having. When yeah. J.D. Martinez goes, the whole Red Sox lineup goes. Exactly. That's what makes them dangerous. But do you know what? They're all hitting. They're all playing well. Xander Bogarts is somebody that New York fans should remember because he should oh, still Yankees be here. Oh, Yankees Bogarts long enough. You know him long enough. Yep. So now, I will wait until the Red Sox and Yankees match up. We haven't had Yankees-Red Sox yet. We're just beginning May. We have not yet seen the Yankees and the Red Sox face each other just yet. True, but the only reason I would put um, the Red Sox ahead of the Dodgers or the Padres or the Giants at this point in time is because the Red Sox play tougher competition in the American League. Truthfully, they do. One of the best records in the AL right now. Being to their record also, they've been very good on the road this year. They're 9-3 and three on the road. They're 9-3 and three on the road. They're, and by the way, they pitch well at home. 
at home, their ER, the starting, the starting, the starters ERAs and the bullpen's ERAs drop tremendously when they're at home. And yet and the their home record doesn't really the road. reflect it. And yet their home record doesn't really reflect that to be very strong. Because they're not hitting at home. That's why. That's weird. That's your home park where the ball should. You have the monster wall. You have doubles at your disposal. Well, think about it. This is a young Red Sox team that's not fully used to all of the uh, different intricacies that the Green Monster presents. That's a big problem with other teams when they come into Boston. That's why the pitching has been so good. But you know, it, it's really hard to navigate that monster. But we come back, we have another monster to navigate. We have to deal with the NFL draft. We're coming back with an 8-8 eight and eight right after this. You see them, Mr. Rangel, all my friends and neighbors? It's a hard life here, very hard. Do you know how they make it through each and every day? They believe. They believe it's going to be better. They believe that the will come. They believe against all odds and all evidence that tomorrow will be better than today. People have to believe in something. Right now, they believe in you. Well, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. And we're back to Downtown Sports. I'm the Beast of the East, Jonathan Cariente, along with my co-host, South and South, John Schiavone. Just finishing up our NLB Top 10, which had a lot of question marks on it. And I could How are the Dodgers imagine. still number one? I swear, you know what? Chris Cade told me to do that. Chris Cade told me to do that. Oh, so now we're accusing our birthday man of, 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 of playing a role in the top 10. Today. Yeah, all he wanted, all, yeah, he just told Tony, all I want for my birthday is a number one seed Dodgers team on the top 10. And Tony said, yes, Mr. Delarge, you are my boss. I will do whatever you wish. And that's how the Dodgers are number one. But we, they had to make it seem fair, so they put the Padres at number two. And then, and then the, I, I can't even. All right, next. We have to get to it. Let's dive into our. Let's dive into our eight and eight. Yes, you know the what? Jets and Giants completing their incredible draft this past. So where week. do you want to go first? Where do you want to go first? Who do you want to start off with? Jets or Giants? I'd like to start with the Jets because it's very interesting. They were a big focus going into this NFL draft, and what decisions Joe Douglas was going to make. And let's see. Hold on. It's. It's the end of the tankathon! The tankathon, ladies and gents. The Jets have now reaped all of their rewards for their tankathon. They have collected all of their goodies. They stopped them up. They've wrapped them in a nice little bow, and they've got their tankathon prizes. So, John, let's go through this list. Who was the last draft pick we'll go from worst to best all right let's get let's just name these picks beast who are these young men who are becoming new york jets the first of those 10 is jonathan marshall the jets drafted him in the sixth round at number 207 the defensive tackle out of arkansas marshall a very interesting athlete 6'3 310 pounds he didn't have much production in college 
This is Courtney Espianis. He was only a one-year starter, but a solid athlete. As a 3-4 nose tackle, he managed 35 tackles and one sack as a senior. But now in a 4-3 defense like the Jets, he'll be able to turn it loose. Okay, Marshall, a good addition. Number, the second pick was Brandon Eccles, the 200th selection, round six, the cornerback out of Kentucky. Jets needed help at the secondary position. He did have uh, some injuries. He blew his pro day, which was bad. He ran a 40 and 4.35, which definitely uh, blew up his pro day, excuse me, and made it really good. He's raw, but he has physical tools, and he has a nose for the ball. 12 breakup passes in 24 games. That's big. Somebody I think that could really help the Jets. Next, we had Hamza Nazardine, who got taken 186th in the sixth round. The court linebacker out of Florida State, always described as a hard hitter, good at breaking passes up, had an interception as well. Going to be a very key piece on special teams, keeping it moving. Jason Pennock was taken 175 in the fifth round. Solid piece out of Pittsburgh. Again, another great piece of guy. He's been a Jet fan since Revis, is what Pennock said. And I think he will be a very good piece. Could he fill Revis' shoes? We'll see. Keeping it going. Michael Carter II got taken at 154 in the fifth round. Another cornerback, defensive back out of Duke. Similar abilities to that of, well, Brian Poole, perhaps. Has some good physical traits. Somebody, that, again, not afraid to go after someone. And he played in a rivalry with, with Duke and North Carolina. I think it's going to prepare him well for the NFL stage. Our fourth, the next to pick was Jamie and Sherwood, the linebacker out of Auburn. Jets needed help in the, in their pass rush. He will be a key addition to that. I think will be a very important piece to, again, just give the Jets a little versatility. Next, the offensive side of the board. The fourth round pick was Michael Carter, the running back, not Michael Carter, the second, out of North Carolina. Not a big running back, but somebody the Jets needed. The Jets needed help in the running back position. LaMichael Pirine's good, but Michael Carter could make their running game a whole lot better. Somebody that can just get loose on plays, somebody could throw the ball to as well, catch it out of the backfield. The next tech, Elijah Moore, the second round pick, number 34, wide receiver out of Old Miss. Again, very solid receiver, good capable hands, good speed if you give him space. Jets have needed a wide receiver that can be in the slot and that can just rip off big runs. Elijah Moore will do that. Then the last two picks, the Jets traded up to get the 14 pick in the first round of Elijah Vera Tucker. Jets needed help protecting that left side of the ball for their quarterback. He will provide a big piece out of USC. And finally, the number one piece of the puzzle, the Jets drafted a quarterback in the first round, Zach Wilson out of BYU. Everybody was shaking their head. Everybody thought Zach Wilson was not the right pick. But when you saw what he could do in college, and you saw what he can do at his pro day, Yes, he didn't play Big Ten. Yeah, he didn't play the Pac-12. Okay, he didn't play big competition. Okay, Fields would have probably been a better choice. Who knows? Zach Wilson is a great game manager from what I've seen. I think he wanted to be in New York. He showed it. He has passion, and he wants to get better. Something you have to pay attention to, Jet fans. I give Joe Douglas an A for this draft. Incredible work addressing pieces the Jets needed. First time the Jets drafted four offensive players in the first four picks since 1983. Yup. Yup. And Joe Douglas, first off, I disagree with your choice of quarterback. However, <clears throat> I don't think that it's that egregious. I mean, Zach Wilson shouldn't be terrible. I just think Justin Fields is going to be better. However, I think Justin Fields would be better now, especially because he will have a huge chip on his shoulder after not being taken second, because throughout his entire college career, him and Trevor Lawrence were always 1A, 1B, who was going to be drafted 
first in their draft class. And then for him to not even be the third quarterback in the class drafted after everything he did after that national championship game, Fields is going to be a monster for the Bears. Are you surprised he fell as low as he did to 10? Are you surprised he fell to 10 in the draft? We're going to talk about how surprised I am in in about two minutes. But you think the Jets got an A in this draft. I would say – I would say I agree. They filled needs. They took the best player on the board, according to their draft board, at every single point. They traded up ahead of the Patriots to get somebody that they needed. Um, They did everything that they had to do in this draft. Joe Douglas showed that he was a very smart general manager, and he did the thing. And that's eight minutes for the Jets. Beautiful. So I guess we go on to the Giants now. So – Last year, Gettleman took the tackle that I didn't want him to take in Thomas for the, with the fourth overall pick. Um, let's see what the Giants' draft was. Let, let's go into their entire situation first. Remember, 6-10, and ten, they were second place in the NFC East, missed the playoffs by just this much. In the offseason, the Giants released Golden Tate. They signed Kenny Galladay. They still had uh, Slayton. And Sterling Shepard. Let's just go through their draft list. In round six, they picked Radarius Williams. He was a cornerback out of Oklahoma State. Also in round six, with the 196th pick, they picked Gary Brightwell, a running back from Arizona. Always good to get running backs later in the draft. You, you will find talent in round six running backs. Let me tell you, Ahmad Bradshaw was undrafted and then he became a star in New York. So getting a running back in the draft late, always a good bet. Round four, you get Ellerson Smith, linebacker. Good. They need to address the secondary. They need to not be soft in that, in that second level. Getting some depth there helps. Aaron Robertson, a corner from... By the way, we got this pick from Denver, the third pick, 71st pick in the draft. Aaron Robinson, a quarterback out of UCS, a cornerback. So more defensive help. Our second round pick, which we got from the Miami Dolphins, was Aziz Ujiari, a linebacker out of Georgia. That's Aziz Ujiari. Oh, God, that L is so hard to pronounce. I hope I got it right. I'm trying my best, good sir. If I get it wrong, you know, Call my people. I think it's Ojolari, but whatever, however you want to pronounce it. Ojolari. Okay. Okay. All right. I thought the L was silent. I don't know why. But linebacker out of Georgia, good kid. Let's take a look at him real quick because he's one of the big two people that we picked. A lot of people were very impressed with that pick of Ojolari. A lot of of people love him. I mean, he is literally – he's a pass rusher. And that's what the Giants have needed on that defense. They've needed a pass rusher for a very long time. Um, So that's just straight up a good move right there. And then their first round pick was a trade. They got it from the Chicago Bears, the 20th pick in the draft. They gave up their pick to draft Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver from Florida. Many people thought Kadarius Toney was the best wide out in the draft. Um, they thought Devonta Smith, they thought he might've been better than Devonta Smith. Uh, you know, 
a lot of people look at Kadarius Tony and Devonta Smith as one and one a in terms of wide receivers in the draft. Uh, and he's got a and he's actually going to have a lot of great receivers to work around him. So he might not be doubled. He could actually end up going off and being a really good pick for the giants. Um, but here's why you're hearing this music. It's a downtown beatdown. Because I was watching the draft. And this is how we're ending this eight and eight. I was watching the draft. Beast, I was watching the teams go by. I was watching the picks go off the board. I was seeing deals. I saw Trey Lance go to the 49ers and I said to myself, who's drafting a quarterback? Then we go see the Falcons. And I'm assuming, nah, they can't, they can't be that stupid. They can't be that stupid to leave Justin Fields on that draft board. Then they go Pitts. Next comes Carolina. Yep, we've got about three minutes left. Next comes Carolina. And they stick with Sam. They didn't draft quarterback. And then the Giants are up. Justin Fields is still on the board. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, maybe. Maybe, and I'm watching that clock go from 10 minutes to nine minutes to eight minutes. And it's taking a while because you knew the Giants probably had somebody on their draft board that they were ready to take, but Justin Fields fell. And then I see the thing that broke my heart, this trade with the Chicago Bears. Now, I am not dissing the haul that Gettleman got for it. I'm really not. That was the most positive and the biggest move in the draft. The Giants gained a first round pick, a couple of second rounders next year, and a first rounder next year, I believe, for that pick. So it's not as if Gettleman was wrong, but here's the thing. You put trust in Daniel Jones. You actually saw Justin Fields on that draft board, took a look at Danny Dimes and said, I'm good with that. Really? Daniel Jones is a downgraded Justin Fields. Daniel Jones in the NFL, if he would perform like Justin Fields did in college, the Giants would have won the division. I don't want to hear he had no one to block for him because he did. I don't want to hear that Jones didn't have anybody to throw to because he did. I don't want to hear that the loss of Saquon has stunted Jones's development because it didn't. Because he had people to hand the ball off to. He had Alfred Morris who was productive. He had other running backs that were productive. Daniel Jones offensively was set up to succeed. And last year he did nothing but fail. Picks, fumbles, turnovers in big spots. Getting picked off 
in the end zone multiple times last year. I could think of at least three games that the Giants literally snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, one of them against the current Super Bowl champions. So, I understand the idea of protect Daniel Jones and, you know, get your defense up, you have your franchise quarterback. But when you see a guy like Justin Fields on your draft board, and you see him right there for the taking, Chicago, you could have made a deal with them to give them Daniel Jones. They would have probably taken it. They probably would have given you the 20th pick for Daniel Jones. But no, what you did instead, you doubled down and you stuck with Danny Dimes. I really hope that's the right decision, Mr. Gentleman. I really do. Because when Chicago's winning Super Bowls with Justin Fields as their quarterback and you're drafting your new franchise quarterback in two years or your replacement is drafting his new franchise quarterback in a couple of years, you're going to regret leaving Justin Fields on that draft board on the mouth of the South. And that's my opinion. When we come back, NBA Top 10 back after this. And we're back to Downtown Sports. I'm the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We just completed our 8-8 eight and eight on the NFL draft, both the Jets and Giants making very interesting and very different. Stupid Gettleman, stupid Gettleman, stupid Gettleman, stupid Gettleman. I love how quickly you're on the Giants general manager just because he didn't stupid grab what you wanted. Stupid okay. Gettleman, okay. stupid Gettleman. Okay. Let's dive in to our NBA top 10, and we are now in Oh, this has to be better than the MLB one. Oh, I swear I, to God, I, if I, I see a second-place team as the number one yeah. Well, I can assure you, this is going to be a better top 10 than what you we see have. See the vein in my neck right here? Better. You see this vein? It's popping out. Okay. I might have an aneurysm before this show ends. All right. Let's begin with number 10, courtesy of our birthday boy, Chris DeLarge. Number 10 on our top 10, the Portland Trailblazers. What? 36 and 29, seventh in the West. Why are they in this? They have been playing so badly. Well, the Blazers are still a playoff contending team. They're in the number seven spot in the West, John. Said it right there. I know. They're they honestly there. should be fifth or fourth right now. <laughs> but, yeah, but the Blazers have gone on a two and nine stretch. They had lost five in a row. They did beat, though, they did beat Brooklyn a few days ago. That's big. They beat the Brooklyn Nets recently. Big win for them. And sometimes, and right now, it's going to be those those big those small wins against some of the bigger teams that could play a key difference. They've beaten the Grizzlies, they've beaten the Nets, they beat the Celtics as part of that four a four game winning streak, and that is huge. Damian Lillard, McCollum is healthy, Nurkic is back, and then you have Melo and Covington being key bench scorers. You know, my whole problem with them is this: they should have taken over. Almost. They should be in the conversation for maybe 
top four, top three seed in the league. They really should be. But we were waiting for them to get Lillard back, get Lillard back, get Lillard back. We're waiting, 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 waiting for Lillard, waiting for Covington, waiting for people to come back. And guess what? Once they all came back together, we were expecting this great, almost super team-esque type Portland Trailblazer team. And now that they're all healthy, what happened? What happened? Sometimes it takes a little getting used to getting your stars back and then getting back acclimated into the offense. That plays a role, believe me. Speaking of which, our number nine team is kind of going through those motions as well. Our number nine team are the Lakers. Man, how they've dropped. Mm. They're now just 37 and 28 in the West. You believe how their record has slipped to this much? Wait a minute. So you're telling me that the Knicks and the Lakers are right around the same area. They have the same record. That's right. They have the same record. Wow. Bronny and the boys need to get back to work here. And uh, by the way, we're just going to, before we move on to the next team on the list, I want to bring up a quote that LeBron James said the other day. Ready? I don't know if I'll ever be 100% again. That's. That was from LeBron James. That was from LeBron James talking about his high ankle sprain. That's he's 36 years old. And he has to, and now he's going to set out another couple of games with that ankle. And so if it's you're obvious. the Lakers, if you're the Lakers, you're frightened. You're frightened as hell. Because you know why? Anthony Davis ain't the guy. He's not the guy to lead a team. We said we're going to discover who Anthony Davis is. We're finding out he ain't that much. I think the Pelicans got a better deal with Zion. Next. Number eight on our top ten, and we just talked about them, same record as the Lakers. It's the Knicks. 37 and 28. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference. The Julius Randle-led New York Knicks. Remember that same Julius Randle that LeBron James couldn't really find a purpose for or keep around on the Lakers who thought he couldn't play. I think he called Julius Randle lazy at some point. I'm pretty sure LeBron had very bad things to say about Randle. And Kobe look at him now. He got better. He wanted to get better, and he showed it. And now the Knicks, with him at the helm, the Knicks are playing like a real team. And you know what's scary? The Knicks are only getting better as the season goes on. They're just playing with more confidence, with more intensity, and with more drive in each and every single game. Do you see what a healthy That's Derek the incredible Rose? part of this all. You see what a healthy Derrick Rose can do? Knicks are 21-8 and eight when Rose plays. They're 21-8 and eight with Rose. There you go. That was the move that, that – they were doing well before Rose, but that was the move that really cemented the season for them. 13 games above 500 with Rose, and they're nine games above 500 as a record right now. They've won 12 of their last 13 games. Unreal. Just think about that. 12 of 13. Their only loss. Their only loss was to to Phoenix. Phoenix was their only loss. By the way, they're they're about to go get that game back in a couple of days, too. Yes. The Knicks are in the middle of a very, very big six-game road trip on the West Coast. They've won the first two on the trip already, beating the Rockets and beating the Grizzlies for the second time. Those are the team. Those were the get-back games on the trip. Now it's Suns time. Yep. We'll be curious to see how they do the rest of this trip. Let's go to number seven on our top ten. 
And wow, my, has this team fallen down from, where, from their perch from where they were. Number seven are the Jazz. What? They dropped from one and two all the way down to seven. That is what? Well, let's be very real here. The Jazz have kind of been losing some steam over the last couple of weeks. They're not Donovan the team Mitchell being out hurts. hurts. They're huh? a different team without Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Mitchell's been out for eight games now with the ankle injury. Eight games they've not had Mitchell. Remember now, uh, you know, everyone thought once the Nuggets got injured with, with, with Jamal Murray, the Jazz, it was a no-brainer. The Jazz were going to take that West easy. I mean. Different story. Oh, well, here's the thing. Where are they ranked right now in the playoff pantheon? They're 46 and 18. That's where they are right now. The Jazz were looking like a 60-win team. That's, that's over now. Well, Donovan Mitchell, as we said, he's been out eight games. Mike Conley's been out four of the last eight games. They've already you lost know, season series to Phoenix. You know, I think the Jazz have looked at themselves, and um, at this point in time, they have to get healthy. The Jazz have to get right. They have to get their stars back. They have to get their players back. They, they are the best team in basketball if they're together. Yeah. They just have to get healthy in time for the playoffs. They really they do. They need to. Time I is think slipping they can, away. Because let me tell you something. If they don't have Donovan Mitchell and Connolly back healthy, it doesn't matter who comes out of the play-in series. Could they you could imagine? On one. They could be out in the first round. Especially if Golden State manages to eke their way through that. And Draymond, and you've already seen the Warriors and the way Curry's playing, starting to get the Warriors a little confidence and emboldening them. You've and Draymond that. Green, apparently uh, he heard my rant calling him the third option on a bad team. He turned his life around real quick after I released that. Good. Good for Draymond. It's good for the NBA, I guess, if you ask It is, me. actually. It'd be great for the NBA number to see a Warriors team. It'd be great for the NBA to see a Warriors team knock out a number one-seeded Jazz team or a number one-seeded Suns team. That would be hilarious. Be that would scary. be almost as fun as the Knicks knocking out the Heat when they were eight and the Heat were one. Go ahead, Beast. I know you number want to talk. Yeah, number six on our top ten. The Milwaukee Bucks, 40-24. and 24. They're third in the East. And they did defeat the Brooklyn Nets last night, 124 to 118. The Bucks so, have the Bucks did again. I know they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. We've talked about them for years, and we talked about how they, you know, they could play so much better than they do right now. But the Bucks, when they've had their back against the wall, they've won some big games. However you slice it, they have won big games. They've won the season series over Brooklyn this year. And they live is, and die. They live and die by holiday. Honestly, I know Giannis is their core. Without Giannis, they're done. But given the fact that he is their star, they live and die based upon what Drew Holiday does. If Drew Holiday has a good game alongside Giannis, the Bucs are probably going to win. If Drew Holiday does not have a good game beside Giannis, the Bucs are going to lose. So if you are a team that's going against the Bucs, it's not just Giannis that you got to stop. you got to shut down Drew Holiday. If you don't shut down Drew Holiday, the Bucs are going to tear through you. Well, again, now this is the big matter. They've won the season series over Brooklyn. So suddenly now, if the Brooklyn Nets and the Bucks tie, Bucks get the higher seed. That's big. Very yeah. important. But aren't the Knicks only – So the Nets have to finish out their season strong just as the Bucks are doing in the same way. Speaking of which – Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Aren't the Knicks only like two and a half games back of the Bucks for third? They're 37 and 28, so the Knicks are about three and a half. 
roughly about three and a half games. So Knicks got some work to do. Bucks got some work to do to keep the Knicks off their heels. I'm saying and they could uh, make a run at the Bucks. With the way they're playing right now, they can. However, if the Bucks keep winning games like this, it won't matter. The Knicks have a brutal schedule on the West Coast, so I don't know if they're going to be able to run the gauntlet through that. If they do all the power to them, but I'm if not they sure. go forward two or five and one on this trip, I think they could make a run for third. Next on the list, number, number five, the Brooklyn Nets in the number five spot. They're second in the East. They have lost two in a row for the first time since that series in the pit in Detroit. That loss to the Bucks was big. That was big because you know what? It proved that other teams in the conference can pick you off. The Nets are not some – they're not the Warriors. They're not the Heat. They're not those level of super teams. Those super teams play really good defense. What was the key of Bosch, Wade, and LeBron? All three were excellent defenders. All three were excellent defenders. In Golden State, Curry, Thompson, Draymond, all three were excellent defenders. Then when you threw Durant into that mix, didn't necessarily matter because Draymond was there to play the defense down low. In this super combination, tell me who's playing the defense. Is it Durant down low? I don't think so. Is it James Harden on the key? Is it Irving on the key? No. Well, it doesn't help when all three – When again, not all the big three have been healthy the whole year. Every time it's one or two of them's hurt. Maybe two of them are playing, one's hurt. One or two, two of them play, the other's hurt. The Joe Nets have not been able to keep their big three all healthy for a whole game. <laughs> That's a big can we, problem. Can we just admit that Joe Harris, no matter who the big three is, is one of the big three on this team? Well, he's, the sa- he's been like the big salvation for this team. He's been the saving grace for why He's the glue. He's down. the glue that holds the Nets together. They better put Joe Harris in a protective bubble and keep him from getting injured for the rest of the season because if he goes down, this next team is done. Hmm. Let's go to number four in our top ten. And it's another team with the same record as Brooklyn, but they're lower in the West. The Los Angeles Clippers, 43-22. and 22. They're fourth in the West. They had a 17-3 and three stretch. Just get snapped recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Clippers uh, have lost three in a row after they had won four in a row. So they have hit a bit of a speed bump, but for the most part, the Clippers are still playing very good basketball and having Rondo in there, we talked about it, how big that was for the Clippers and how it well, turned George around. talked about it. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. We weren't the ones saying a leader has now emerged in the Clippers locker room. Paul George, that yeah. was Paul George. Well, Paul George said it himself. He well, needs a leader. Well, it's helped him and it's helped the whole Clippers team and, you know, it's amazing when you get a veteran like that that can be a ring, that can be a floor general and how mm-hmm. big a difference it makes on your offense. And, yeah, right now the Clippers have distanced themselves ahead of the Lakers, and they could still be a team that could threaten the one seed in that West. They still have some meaningful games left. They do. And I won't be shocked if a couple of these teams go on a bad stretch. Let's go on to number three. The Denver Nuggets are number three on the top ten. They're third in the West, 43-21. and They've earned it. It's incredible how they started. They were 17-15. and They were 17-15 and in their first 32 games. Since then, 26-6. and Best record in the NBA in that stretch other than? The Jazz, the Suns. No, in that stretch, 26-6. and Best record in the NBA other than the Knicks or the Suns. Yeah, incredible. 
and this is without Murray, and this has been for the most part without Jamal Murray. Scary. They're yeah. eleven and. You know what their record is when they trail by five points or so in the last five minutes of games? What? They're eleven and one. Unreal. Eleven and one. Let me tell you something. Denver t- learned those lessons well about failing in the clutch because they should have been in the NBA Finals. By all rights, they were playing better team basketball than the Lakers. They were defending better than the Lakers. The only thing was they couldn't drain those last second shots. And the person who wasn't able to drain them was Jamal Murray. And where is he right now? On the injured list. Now now the Nuggets are hitting more clutch shots, winning more games. Jamal Murray is very skilled, but is he the guy that you want with the ball in the last five well, minutes of the game, we're discovering the answer. Aaron that Gordon, question for the Michael Bucks Porter is, no. Jr. have stepped up to the to the to the plate in a big way. It's been those two along with Jokic. That's the big difference right there with the leadership the Buck with the, what the Nuggets have to what the Bucks have. Big difference. Let's go to number two on our top ten. It's the Philadelphia 76ers. First in the East, 43-21. and 21. They got back Ben Simmons after they lost four in a row. And it's, it's scary what the Sixers have. When they are complete and healthy, they are the most talented team top to bottom. Top to bottom roster-wise. Name me one week player in their eight or nine man rotation name me one yeah i don't think i can come up with <laughs> i don't think i can come up with one that's how good the sixers have been and this has also been without Embiid healthy they've had Embiid in and out of the lineup even simmons has been out he's missed time and they're still finding ways to win doc rivers man doc rivers just just wherever he goes success follows him from Boston to L.A., now back to Philadelphia. Success follows him wherever he goes. He goes and he rebuilds franchises and he takes franchises that were either once great but now are now floundering or franchises that were always floundering and turns them into perennial powerhouses. Look at Boston, even after he's gone. Look at the Clippers, year one without him. And now look at the 76ers. The teams that he's coached still have success after he's gone because they keep the same systems that he had in place. They just put different people to run it. That's key. And I think the Sixers could have a very deep run if they can continue to play the way they are. I think they're going to be very dangerous going forward. But we're getting down to the home stretch and we'll see. Number one of our top ten, and it's the Phoenix Suns. They're not the same team they once were. You know, I missed everything you just said, but let, 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 me, let me just try to recap it. Right, right, right. Let me just try to recap it. Blah, blah, blah. Suns have overtaken Jazz, blah. Chris Paul, blah, blah. Devin Booker, blah. Booker, Booker, scoring, scoring, blah, blah, blah. Um, better than Jazz. Will win, will defeat Jazz in playoff series. Jazz falling off, everybody falling off. Suns better than all, blah, blah, blah. That about right? Well, the Suns have been really incredible. They've gotten better and better throughout the season. You can't deny it. 
the Suns learned how to win, how to play in these big games. It really is incredible. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Monty Williams at the helm have been have just turned this Suns team into a perennial powerhouse in the West. Well, really we don't are. know if they're going to be a perennial powerhouse, but at least this year they're definitely a powerhouse. They've definitely uh, opened the eyes of a lot of people, and Chris Paul is still Chris Paul, and I don't care what a, a, a lot of people around the league want to say about who's going to win MVP. Chris Paul is the most valuable player in the NBA, in my opinion, because of the fact that his presence single-handedly took that team from a sub-500 lottery team with that roster construction that they had to first in the conference. That, to me, is further proof. No, I need no more proof of most valuable player. Other than, well, Donovan Mitchell being injured for the Jazz and the Jazz falling off the way they did. So, I mean, Chris Paul's not going to win that award, obviously. There's players that have much better stats out there that are having better seasons statistically, quote-unquote. Hell, Julius Randle is more in that conversation than Chris Paul is. I get it. But if you really look at who is the most valuable player, Look at what the team was before Chris Paul and after. In my opinion, he is the most valuable player in the NBA this year, whether or not he wins the award. It's incredible. We're going to find out, ladies and gentlemen, who is going to finally finish atop the NBA when we get to the NBA playoffs in just about a week from now. We're seven games left in the season. We thought the Jazz were going to be number one forever. And now the Suns come in the fourth week in a row of our NBA top 10 at number one. Knicks will play the Suns. That should be one classic matchup. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you something. And let me tell you something. I'll tell you what's going to be classic about that matchup. When they actually get – when the Knicks actually get the win back from the Suns on the Suns' home court. That's going to be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to that. Just a couple days from now, Friday, Knicks-Suns in Phoenix. That is going to be one heck of a game. And that is the end of our show for today. This is the end of Downtown Sports. I'd like to thank Wayne Randazzo. I'd like to thank Tony Mainville, our researcher, for that, that, that top 10 from the MLB that uh, you know put Boston at third and, and, and uh, the Dodgers at first. I don't even think Chris would have put the Dodgers at number one on that list at this point in time. I don't even think Chris, with all the homerism he likes to show, would have done that. But I digress. It's okay. First, let's see if we can get this right this time. Beast, where can they hear us? We are on 13 different platforms. Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podday, Listen Notes, and Podcast Addict. 13 different platforms, rants, episodes, digital market battles, specials, every Tuesday, Wednesday. We are downtown sports, and we are where sports come home. For Tony Mainville, for Crystal Large, for the Beast of East, Jonathan Periente, on the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone saying, we're out. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.